Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the domestic animals that were with him on that ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of that month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In that 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him on the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening. And there in the beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Amen. It's interesting to me through the years we have made the um, Noah story into a children's story. If you went down to our children's division, went through the different rooms, uh, in a lot of those rooms, you're going to find a nice little wooden ark. You're going to find a removable roof, and the children can go and reach down and take the animals out and put them back in. I'm not against that. Truth be told, the story of, of Noah and this ark, it's, it's really a PG-13. This is an adult story. You know, look, there's a lot of darkness. Yes, there are some flickers of light. There's a good bit of human despair. But yes, there's a sprig of hope. Man, there's a lot you could say about the story. You could, a lot you could say about Noah. The first thing I want to say is um, he had to, to his neighbors, appear to be a rather zany guy. I mean, think about him pounding away day after day on this ponderous craft, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits high. 30 cubics wide. It was a big old craft. And here he is pounding it away on. The neighbors are looking at him. They're miles from the nearest seaport. I mean, why is he doing this? He believed he had heard not just a voice. He believed he heard the voice. And it was a lot different than the voices that he heard all around him where people said, hey, the only thing that really makes a human being, that's what makes us work, is just looking after our own interests. But oh no, he heard a voice calling him to be a part of something larger than self, deeper than occupation. But I have to believe he looked a little bit crazy. I think he was looked on his by his neighbors like we look at the fellow walking down Lexington Avenue, bearded fellow wearing a sheet, got a sandwich board over him, repent on the front, repent on the back, yeah. I mean, a penny for your thoughts, Noah. Wouldn't you love to get into his feelings? Wouldn't you love to get into his head and just find out what was he thinking, pounding away on that craft with nary a cloud in the sky? Maybe he knew something that those around him didn't know. Maybe he felt something deep that human vanities have always been illusions. 
And if we're left to ourselves and our own devices long enough, we're all doomed. I don't know. Here's what I know. The rains did come. Oh, they came, all right. Floodwaters and the water came um, just came rolling across forest and field and across the kitchen floor and down the basement steps and got higher and higher, carrying, covering the cell towers and the church steeples. And here were people, neighbor going as neighbor, trying to find something solid to hold on to. Someone has said the truth of the matter is maybe the chaos was no worse then than it ever has been, but only wetter. I don't know. I do know this. The floodwaters came, and there was that moment when that cumbersome old craft came off its moorings, and there it was pitching and creaking, and somehow it stayed afloat. Surprise of surprise with a captain who didn't know the difference between starboard and port. And think about it. I mean... It's a rather unusual scene there on those decks. Here's all these creatures finding comfort in one another. Wolf lying down with the lamb, ox and lion eating from the same bed of straw. I want us to stop right there and just think about the ark itself. Okay. It probably wasn't a perfect boat, but it, it, it seemed to, to be enough. It was enough to keep them afloat. I imagine there was a lot of seasickness, claustrophobia, par excellence there on those deck, below decks. But someone has said that if it, not, if it had not been for the storm on the outside, nobody could have stood the stench on the inside. Yeah, I want us to talk about the ark. It was enough. Do you think it's still enough if ark means church? You, you know that's one of our symbols, church. It's an ark. You're riding in one every week. Look at you. It's an upside-down ark. This is what we worship in every week. The ark wasn't perfect. The church wasn't perfect. I'm going to suggest this morning that the church is at its best when it's like an ark. When it um, is a place and a body of people where human beings come together in such a way that the things that make us different well, they're no, they no longer count. They're no longer barriers. Yeah, the church is an ark. It's a place where people come together because we live in a stormy world and nothing stays in place for very long. The church is an ark because this is where we come together for God's sake, the world's sake, for everybody's sake. When I think of this, uh, this, this great story, I think of another story told by Garrison Keillor, Prairie Home Companion, told it on Saturday night. Now, you know that Keeler grew up in northern Minnesota, tough winters. And he said his um, elementary school principal, Mr. Detmar, had his own winter fear. This was Mr. Detmar's fear, that one of those blizzards, those blizzards out of Canada would come rolling down across the northern plains and it would come during the school day. And those kids, those, those, those children, Someone would be marooned in school buses out in some rural road, or they'd be trapped in the school building far away from home. So this was Detmar's plan. This is what he came up with. Every child in the school would be assigned a storm home. So when the blizzard came, they would go to their storm home right, right close around the school. Garrison Keeler said, my storm home was to Cleckles. It was a kindly old couple, and they lived in a brown-green cottage down by the lake. It was a homey-looking place. It looked like it was in a children's store. You could see children lost in the forest coming out, seeing this kindly place, and they just say, Oh, my, we're so lucky. We're in a story that has a happy ending. This is what Keeler said. This is what he imagined. 
not just that he had a storm home. He said, I imagined that the Kleckles chose me because they liked me. Him, him they said, we're going to take that one, the skinny one with the thick glasses. When the storms come, we want that boy. Noah lived in a stormy world. Garrison Keillor did. You and I live in a stormy world. You know, no matter how hard we try to always keep it together and to make things work our way, sometimes things just fall apart. And maybe we're a little bit like the boy in Keillor's story. Uh, We're fearful. We're going to be trapped in a schoolhouse far from home. You ever find yourself saying something like this? Hey, life just, life just not working out the way I thought it would. I just didn't think that I would know and have so many friends that suffer or have died or have gotten separated or moved away. I, I didn't think that the city I live in would become a place of such violence. I didn't think that the 21st century would bring me in the middle of a politic uh, not of statesmanship, but of one-upsmanship. And, you know, we're like, it's in the, we're in the seventh grade. We feel like we're a long way from home. And the buses are running. And snow is coming. Yeah. But do you remember something else? What we have here? You know, we, we've got a storm home. Yeah, we, riders of the ark together. We celebrate that every time. We, and we have a lot of baptisms here at Central. And this is what we're saying. In one voice, the church says, um, we want that girl. We want that boy. We, we widen our embrace and say, we belong to you. You belong to us. We're in it together. And we're going to do everything we can and care and uphold for you in your journey. And we're going to try to see that um, we never let you out of our care. Oh, and we're going to be here to remind you of your baptism and the promises of God um, from which nothing can separate you. See what it means to be a part of that? We're, we're part of a storm home, an ark. And I remember it's 2007, and I had something come my way I'd never had before, a health issue for me. And I was apart from work and you for, for over two months. And I can remember some moments in that, which I knew I was going to make it, but when my courage, my own kind of sense of perseverance was running low and there were people that um, kind of were courageous and present for me. I'll never forget that. You know, to have a place like this, a community like this, we can hold each other up and calm each other down. You know, one of my hopes for Central is that every journey group we have, um, every class, every mission study, every United Methodist Women's Circle, that all of these will create these um, just these storm homes uh, where, where we know that we have people to count on. If any of you ever been through a season of life where your own faith got a little bit thin, that's okay. I mean, we do have our doubt storms. We're not sure what we believe anymore, what's true and what's not. And to have people carry the faith for us until we can carry it again ourselves, yeah, that means a lot. That's what we have here. We're riders of the storm together and riders in hope. That's another big part of this story is called hope. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, 150 days cooped up below deck on that, that cumbersome old ark, 
And after a while, Noah just said, enough is enough. He said, they had no signs of, of, of any kind of dry land out there anywhere. And he says, enough is enough. He sent out the raven. The raven came back, nada, nothing. And then he sent out the dove. And the dove came back. Maybe he didn't even see it at first because it was just a sprig. But it was green, you know. It was the green sprig of an olive branch. I want you to look in Noah's face. That's, that's the place to look at this point in the story. Can't you see him? There's the bird and those little thinner legs standing on his callous palm. And, and Noah can feel the panic um, beating of that little bird's heart. And then the, then the sprig. And now there's tears in Noah's eye. Not the tears of anguish, but no, these are the tears of the... Um, of wild and irrepressible hope. Where's hope in, 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 in just one little green sprig? Oh, there's a lot of hope. It's a sign that they had a future. This is a sign that on the other side of the storm and the waves and the flood, there's something of promise and possibility out there. What do you think that meant to Noah? Um, it, it was proof for the dreamer that the dream's worth the risk. Isn't it a wonderful moment? Don't you thank God? For the sprigs that have come your way, green ones of hope, and the people that bring them. Someone calls you on the phone and says, I'm coming over tonight to see you and your wife. And I know you've been going through some financial challenges and difficulties. Don't fold the tent. Don't give up. We're going to talk about this and we're going to work on this together. Somehow, someway, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Boy, don't you thank God for those those people, those moments that bring the sprigs. We're talking about a pretty powerful reality here. Okay? We're not just talking about gleeful anticipation being hope. It, this can be a means to survival. I, I know, I know sometimes it's what keeps a farmer going. I want you to think about the farmer. He's riding a mortgage tractor across rented land. He's using fertilizer and seed he bought on credit. And there are some days he feels like all I'm doing out here is just rearranging the dust. But he stops the tractor and he stands up and he looks across the acreage and there he can see it. He can imagine it. Tall green corn as high as an elephant's eye. It's called hope. And it's enough to get him back on the tractor to keep him going, to keep him driving. It, look, I mean... Hope is a tenacious thing. I think it was Fred Craddock said, hope can hang from the altar of God by just its fingernails. That's it. And it can stay there. Oh, wow. To live without hope is to live in drudgery. It's to live um, in sometimes despair. Why? Because when we live without hope, oh, we think we know what's going to happen. It's just going to be more of the same. And sometimes that's not very good. But people with hope, they do not know what's going to happen. Because we believe that God's not finished with creation. No telling what surprise is going to catch us off guard. We say all the time this little statement. We say, oh, you know, where there's life, there's hope. Oh, I want to flip that around. No, where there's hope, man, there's life. Now, when we talk about hope in this room, when we talk about Christian hope, we're not talking about shallow optimism. You know, people that just run around with these forced little glib grins and trying to pretend that everything is okay. No. I'm not talking about that. 
not talking about wishful thinking. A lot of times when people use the word hope, they're just talking about wishes, you know, wishing that life would do this or God would prevent that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the hope, the big one, the underlying deep confidence and trust that God isn't finished with creation, that I have a future, that you have a future, because God never runs out of love, never runs out of life, and never stops giving us those things. It's the confidence and trust that that presence can be trusted in safety and in danger, in death and in life. Look, there are a lot of days I can't see the whole sweep of those undergirding purposes and presence of God. Not the whole sweep of it. But E.L. Dottero, remember what he said, when you're driving at nighttime, you can't see any farther than the headlights, right? But you can take the whole journey that way, the whole trip. Or to change the image, life is like this beautiful hand-woven tapestry, and on the upside, oh, you can see it. You can see the beauty, you can see the pattern every once in a while. We have those moments, the ground becomes holy, or the temple rocks like when Gilbert was singing today, you know, all of a sudden for a moment, yeah, it kind of all comes together. You're on the top side of the tapestry. But we spend a lot of time on the bottom side and there you see just a bunch of dangled and loose threads and just, but even there, you know, I would suggest even there you'll see them, the intimations, the hints, the sprigs of hope. One of the things I'm still learning, and I got a long ways to go, is to pay better attention to life. Okay. Especially those moments where the sprigs, there's something green, something beautiful, something of pattern and meaning come my way. They're there. You have them. I mean, maybe you had one not long ago, a moment here at communion, you know, after you take communion at this service, the altar rails open and you were there kneeling and there it was. It just welled up in your, your mind and heart and soul. Just this feeling that all was well, all is well with your soul. Or, or maybe there was a moment when um, you, you pulled up this fragment of a poem you memorized as a child and the poem had gone away. It never had really meant very much, but now it comes back and there's one little phrase it's just what you needed to hear. Now you take those moments. Don't, don't throw them away. Bind them together and the sprig becomes a branch and maybe the branch become a tree that we call the tree of hope and the tree of life. Yeah, you, you hold them together. Um, hope often exists, just a sprig here, a sprig there. Ask Alexander Solzhenitsyn about that. You remember the Russian dissident? writer, philosopher. He took on the Soviet authorities. Because of that, he was sent um, to a gulag um, in Siberia. He knew more than most of us about the madness of humanity that seems to want to destroy us. He was acquainted with the deepest kind of grief and difficulty. This is what he said. He said this now, when he's in this, Rom this Russian gulag, and he walks out one day, he says, I walked out, and there was one tree, there was one tree in the prison yard, and it happened to be an apple tree, and it was in blossom. 
and I walked under the tree and I breathed in the hopeful fragrance of the blossom and all of a sudden I said, self, self, you can make it a few more days. Well, wait a minute. It's just a tree. It's just a little green sprig. 